everyone and welcome to another Africa Asia podcast. It's been a while since we recorded one. I'm with Chido tonight. I'm Christine and we will get started. Chido, introduce yourself, introduce the topic, then let's carry on. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Chido and um, it's good to be back after quite a long hiatus. So today we've decided to just have a chat on various observations that we have made over the year on African trade and businesses. We had quite an extensive discussion. I think we had extensive discussions uh, beginning of the year when we were talking about the impact of COVID-19 on businesses, on e-commerce, um, on digital trade. And now, you know, it seems as if we are past that era. Obviously, we have the Russian-Ukrainian war. So in light of all those changes that have happened, what really have we observed? Like what has been the trend for African trade and uh, businesses? So before I say much, I'm just going to, you know, ask you, Christine, to dive in. Okay, okay. So I'll start off by where I'm at, which is in Kenya. And I would say, looking at trade and things that have been going around um, the country, you can see uh, people, the situation, especially on the economic side. So the Kenyan general election is on Tuesday next week, on 9th of August. Uh, And then over a month now, there has been a crisis on the maize maize situation. And uh, because one of the biggest or staple meal in Kenya is ugali or sima or the South Africans call it pap. It's it's made using maize flour. So there's been a shortage. What has happened is that uh, let's say one packet of maize flour was costing one, $1.50. So in the last uh, month, it went up to close to uh, $2.50. That's crazy, especially thinking that this is the staple food, that even like the person with the least amount of purchasing power, this is what they consume almost on a daily basis. And then uh, the government gave directive that because there was a maize uh, shortage, that it can be imported. So then again, I learned that uh, importing things like maize, wheat, most of these things from Europe, you know, like from Russia or from Ukraine, is much cheaper than importing it even from other African countries. So recently, someone was telling me how, how there's been an influx of maize coming in into the country so that the millers can see if they can find, um, they can sell the maize flour at a cheaper price. Of course, uh, with the elections and everything going on, uh, and, and now with the food crisis, that's not a situation you want on your hands. And uh, Chido, it, I think it just got me thinking how dire a situation it can be when it comes to like uh, this sort of trade uh, when on one hand we have like the Africa continental free trade area and here we are with such a shortage of, of maize which is a basic thing which I would think it should be possible for Kenya to say you know let's import from Zimbabwe uh, maize uh, but then also again because of the cost of uh, farming within other African countries I understand that it's cheaper to import such things from uh, from Europe or from other countries that do, do uh, large scale commercial farming. So, so Chido, to begin with, that that has been my observation. 
Um, so since you have decided to start with um, the price of maize, I think I might as well, you know, make some comments on, on all the issues that you raised. So number one, the reason why um, sometimes it's really cheap to import our, you know, our basic stuff, your grain, your wheat and whatever from most of these developed countries, especially the U.S., has a lot to do with subsidization, right? So you find that um, most of these um, large, what we call, we're calling large-scale farmers, are really subsidized by the government, which makes it relatively cheaper for them to export as compared to you know every other de developing or least developing uh, least developed country. And also, obviously, we cannot uh, be blind towards your your usual African problems, right? We are talking of your the the time it takes to you know for border processing to be done, um, how we are lacking digitalization in that aspect, and how that then ends up affecting the whole supply chain and ends up making it even more expensive for somebody to then you know import from another African country. But I, I just wanted to point out that in as much as we always want to look at, oh, Africa is not doing this right or what, but we also then fail to have this discussion about how much some of these industries are heavily subsidized by their governments in developed um, countries, number one. Then number two, I wanted to just make a comment in respect of the AFCFDA to say there is this, uh, there was a hype, you know, a really big hype when this whole when the agreement was signed and member states started ratifying um i think there was more or less like a severe mentality to say when the fcfta comes in it's really going to change it's going to be a game changer right it's going to change uh, how we're trading it's going to boost intra-african trade and whatnot and whatnot uh but there are two things that i want to make two things that i want to point out the first being the fcfta is not coming um to a region that is, you know, not used to regional economy communities. We already have our own regional economy communities that have been there. You know, we've got SACU, for instance, the oldest customs union ever, right? We've got your Comesa, your EAC, the tripartite that failed to kick off. Uh, so then the AFCFTA, it building on existing regional economy communities, I mean, Obviously, it was going to build on the performance of these regional economic communities that already have preferential terms. Number two, I think um, what uh, every, I, I know that people now are sort of, you know, questioning, they're starting to question if it really works. But what people have not yet realized is even though it was fully operationalized uh, on the 1st of January 2019, trading under the AFCFTA has not yet started. And this has nothing to do with whether member states are willing or reluctant to trade. But it has a lot to do with the fact that rules of origins are still being negotiated. Schedules of specific commitments are still being negotiated. The negotiation process is still ongoing. And as long as most of these issues are still outstanding, we can't then start trading under the AFCFTA. And that's the reason why, you know, there hasn't been anything happening. And obviously, whether it's going to, when, when trading officially starts, like whether it's really going to change the situation most African countries, is something that we can't speculate. And like I said before, we already have seen how regional economic communities have been performing. So in a way, that's for me to say we need to lower expectations. 
if we are going to be reaping the benefits from the AFCFTA, then my thinking is those benefits are going to be long-term. It's not going to be a 2023 thingy, a 2024 thing, but it's actually going to be a gradual process that happens over time. And then um, maybe to also then just comment that most businesses really got affected by the geopolitics, you know, that's happening between um, Russia and Ukraine. You'll be surprised to know that Ukraine, Russia, I mean, most countries actually um, export their wheat from Russia and Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine are the biggest exporters of wheat. I mean, the other countries import, forgive me. So Russia and Ukraine are the biggest exporters of wheat. They are the biggest export. You, you, we are talking of how the, 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 the oil prices, you know, skyrocketed. And that obviously affected most businesses in Africa because then if the price of oil goes up, it means the trading cost goes up. Because once oil goes up, it means that, you know, your, your normal petrol, diesel, fuel, gas, whatever, whatever form of fuel that you need to make sure that your business is running is going to go up. And that's actually a cost of trading that goes up. And what then happens when the cost of trading goes up? It means that the price of goods ends up going up because somebody who's making a business really has to have a return at the end of the day. And even if it means that they need to up their price, you know, market price for bread or market price for maize meal, they are really going to do that because ultimately you are in business to make profit. Yes, Chido, I hear you. And indeed, uh, like for Kenya, I can also confirm that like the wheat prices in Kenya, so that to encourage purchase of wheat from domestic uh, farmers, uh, there's a regulation that requires like a certain uh, millers should meet a certain quota from buying from local uh, from local farmers before they import from Ukraine and, and Russia. Uh, that that goes to show you like how much you have to protect even like um, the local uh, farmer. Otherwise, the millers find it cheaper to buy from uh, from to, to import from Ukraine and Russia. And so imagine what that the war did uh, to that situation. Even if as far as wheat products are concerned, uh, I wouldn't say there has been much of a crisis. Although prices have generally gone up on uh, the consumer prices in Kenya, and I, I agree with what you say that. Um, Maybe long term, long term benefits are what we can see. We, we might realize from uh, the Africa continental free trade area, and also that you see, uh, like the subsidies that maybe Russia, Ukraine, the U.S. are giving to their farmers or the farming sector, so that the, the, the their prices are very competitive when they export uh, their products. I think these are some of the things that, of course. It's a reality that even if the after were to come into force, this is a reality that you'd have to face. Should a miller looking for products, whether it's whichever forms of grains, feel that they want to buy from Russia or Ukraine or from the US because you see of the subsidies versus if they have to buy uh, with, from Africa because the after is in force. So how do you regulate that? And because, again, it's business, as you say, Someone who wants to make money, they'll look for the cheapest cost of production. And if that means importing from outside Africa, that might be the case. That's a reality, I think, uh, that will have to come up. Uh, Chido, you, possi you possibly are well versed with maybe ways that that might be addressed. Uh, because I would imagine even if like the custom duty uh, was 
very low or nil if you are, yeah it should be there should be no custom duty if you are importing from uh, from african countries where based on the after but still uh, custom duty is not the only thing that uh, increases the price because if the goods are so subsidized coming from their home country by the time they are getting into kenya even with custom duty they might actually the cost might be the same as importing from an african country and then of course there's you know like the entire transport issues the the ease of importing the ease of you know trading generally which is not just about custom duty it might it might end up being that importing from the us might be cheaper in the long run um, and speaking about like uh, trade with uh, other countries more developed countries i was having a conversation the other day with someone uh, because i practice tax and this is also a tax practitioner uh, there's been a huge debate if anyone has been following about taxing the digital economy where the oecd which is made up of, of, largely of the developed countries and so this is uh, several countries in europe and the us so the us came in with its own proposal of how the digital economy should be uh, should be taxed and what the us was arguing is that uh, the biggest companies that stand to lose will be their uh, us based companies so think about alphabet netflix uh, and you know like most of the biggest social media companies facebook twitter so us was saying that if you decide to tax the digital economy then what's going to happen is the biggest hit companies will be US companies. So they came up with a proposal where they said the revised rules for taxation of companies globally should not only focus on digital companies, but all companies, like as long as you're multinational. So what that did is that it shifted focus from just the digital economy and to include other companies, you know, like uh, so that they could expand the scope and include uh, companies coming from like, you know, the UK, which are not generally digital um, companies and the conversations we were having is that the rules as they are are so skewed against people who are importing uh, like these digital solutions so that uh, the importing countries which tend to be mainly developing countries like um, like African African countries they're so disadvantaged because what's happening is that uh, we are the ones who will be paying for use of Microsoft products. We are the ones who paying for Google products. So if it, it happens that we cannot tax some of these incomes, what happens is that all the money is being repatriated back to the US. And so, uh, Chido, what, uh, my observation here is that there are long-term benefits, but uh, possibly uh, to, to flow from after. But the reality that we are dealing with is possibly that uh, we may never quite break what seems to be like the cycle of how uh, things are set up, whether it's the subsidies, whether it's the taxation issues that tend to favor more of the exporting countries. Um, those are my observations on that, Chido. Um, yeah, uh, whilst I agree with you, I also then just want to point out something to saying, you know, we are not far gone. I say that because when countries went to, like when we had MC12 uh, recently, you would realize that African countries for the first time were actually pushing for that TRIPS waiver, you know, to be adjusted in a way that it favors, you know, African countries to say, now we also want to be able to manufacture our own pharmaceuticals. We now have, you know, the pharmaceutical industries. We want to be able to, to, to be out there in the market and necessarily not shrink ourselves and allow 
the the situation to be as uh, as where there is monopoly by the developed developed countries. So I think we are sort of um, realizing the, the the disparities that have been there, and for the first time, we are not just identifying them, but we're actually doing something to make sure that you know we redress that. So there's something really happening on the big of the AFCFTA. Fine, people are negotiating. We're trying to come up with preferential trade terms. That will obviously um, significantly change the amount of trading, uh, the amount of trading cost that uh, businesses have to face. So is it really going to deal with the issue of subsidization? Not really, but in a way it's going to also then make it, you know, slightly cheaper to trade amongst African countries. But that's not going to happen in an abstract. You know, we've always spoken about how Africa needs to industrialize and whatever and whatever. And right at the back of the AFCFTA, you realize that now African countries are taking this industrialization issue very seriously. Um, I remember, when was it? About two weeks ago, I actually witnessed a signing ceremony between the government of Ghana and um, another company for the development of their railroad. You know, we have always said how it's important to have road networks, rail networks, to make sure that goods are moved from point A to point B. And for the first time, you know, you see African countries actually getting into deals that are not scams, but are really trying to, you know, change the 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 value chain, you know, trying to 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 develop value chains, trying to industrialize. It might not be a two-day thing, like I said, like we're gonna wake up tomorrow morning and we are full blown in we have full full blown industries. But steps are being taken, you know, to try and then change the narrative. So I think that on its own really is a plus that I need to be giving not only the continent, but even you know the policymakers to say now they are not just talking there's actually an initiative to change the status quo. Really, there's so much work and groundwork that's being put in place to make sure that, we, you know, we change the, the status quo and we actually start developing and become a better continent. And I think that there's been now a general awareness to saying, in as much as we've got different uh, political ideologies, you know, we are at different levels economically, there is need for us to actually come together to collaborate and make sure that you know we 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 help each other out you know we we make this continent better than it was so in as much as you know they um all these funny funny you know political tensions and 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 um and disagreements that happen you hear that this country in the ES, eac has closed its borders to this other country and whatever where it matters the most it almost seems like you know african countries are actually like coming up together and uniting. I've, I, I think the best demonstration of that was really when people went to MC12, because for the first time in a very long time, you know, Africa was speaking with one voice. And that's exactly what we want. You, we, we, we need to be stronger in the negotiation rooms. We need to be stronger, you know, out there, out literally, so that even when we then start talking about how our decisions impact our businesses, we are making informed decisions. It's not just a thing of going and making decisions or having other people make decisions for you, but we're actually participating. And that participation and the benefits thereof are going to be felt by our businesses, obviously in a, in a medium to long-term you know, scale, but still there's work that is being done and there are stress that are being made. Hmm. Shido, I good thoughts. And I also wanted to say, as far as infrastructure goes, 
uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned about uh, Kenya has a port uh, called the Lamu port. Uh, so the Lamu port is this big project uh, that the current and outgoing um, government has been developing uh, quite a huge port that is able to that has deep buds where like huge ships can be able to come and offload cargo which is then uh, and then it's transshipped across african countries so uh, because previously what would happen is that for most african countries they are not able to receive the big ships that are coming from uh, europe or uh, from china or so what happens is that um, the cargo is offloaded elsewhere, then the smaller ships then transship them um, across different countries. So the Lamu port uh, in Kenya uh, is built in such a way that the big ships can now come and um, dock there, and then there can be transshipment. So there's been inflow. Uh, I don't know how much, but last I checked that it was already receiving ships, but not like, you know, of the birds. But that's that's a good development because now what happens is that one, uh, the cost even of transshipment um, becomes uh, cheaper. And then there's opening up of trade in that part of Kenya because uh, for a long time it had been a bit neglected because it's near the border with Somalia. So there was quite a bit of security issues with pirates and all that sort, sort, sort of thing. Uh, but that's like another uh, thing I wanted to uh, mention when it comes to matters of infrastructure, that infrastructure in and of itself, uh, if a country is focusing on it, whether it's the roads, uh, whether it's the electricity, such things, uh, they spill over and benefit other countries when they are built with that in mind. Of course, there are those projects that have come up uh, which uh, I think countries were trying to collaborate and see, like, for instance, if there's a road that uh, interconnects, like, the whole of uh, uh, maybe uh, twist uh, transport costs from the port, Lamu port, into Uganda, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and all that, but uh, which has not been fully completed. But I think uh, such interlinking infrastructure is also helpful. Uh, but then uh, something of interest to note is that. I had a conversation with like uh, people within Kenya and most people, uh, funny thing is when here we speak about the need of infrastructure and su such sort of thing, uh, they really don't think about it that way. So someone was uh, telling me uh, someday I was, I was driving along a new road, uh, which is, which is very nice and it, it, it shortens your time of uh, travel. And the person I was speaking with was telling me that this, this road only benefits people with cars. And now what they are telling me is that uh, the government should not focus mainly on just uh, infrastructure development, but they should focus on maybe unique job creation for such people or it should, uh, the, the focus should shift. I mean, and they are, they are not very happy with like all the projects, like why is the port being expanded when, you know, like the cost of the flour is going up or why is the road being constructed when you know like uh, people are not getting you know like free meals you know like that sort of thing and i thought the conversation was quite interesting and and someone was now saying that uh, the people who benefit from these projects are many the elite which i don't know Chido, what your thoughts were your thoughts are but i i thought that was quite interesting when we're speaking about infrastructure and the need for it and you can see the benefits that come off it uh, someone looking at it and saying but this doesn't benefit me as a person but uh, I think, Chido, you can give your thoughts on that even as we come towards a close. 
Yes. So you have actually, thank you for, for, for raising that up because you have reminded me of a conversation that I've been having with certain people here in Zim, right? So the, the economic situation, really, I can say this, that the government has been making several strides to make sure that, you know, they stabilize the economy and, you know, we get back our financial integrity and all. Um, all those measures have really helped in the economy. So if you then go back to our financial statements, if you listen to uh, budget reviews and whatever, you realize that actually we might necessarily not be out of the woods like completely, but we have like from where we came from or where we were a few years ago and where we are now, it seems as if, you know, there's been so much effort to make sure that we get out of the woods and we are actually making our way out of the woods. Um, is the situation okay now for the common Zimbabwean? Not necessarily, right? People are still clamoring for jobs. Uh, people are still crying about the inflation rates and whatever, which is normal. So it almost feels like in most cases, our governments have to choose between doing what's best for the economy, uh, which obviously has got long-term economic benefits, uh, or having to do something that appeases the voters' role now. So you would realize that building infrastructure, you know, your roads, networks, your ports and whatever, to the common Kenyan who doesn't understand the importance of actually having a port that is functional and um, roads and, you know, developing value chains, having manufacturing power, industrial power, it might, if it doesn't translate to somebody getting a job or getting a meal at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense. But actually, that is what makes sense for the economy to make sure that, you know, you continue sustaining your economy and you actually have, you know, people that can feed off the benefits at a later stage. So I think what then our governments need to do, they need to go all out and start educating people on the importance of actually reviving the economy first. Yes, people will suffer. I'm not, I'm not condoning that. And I'm not saying, you know, people should just take a chill pill and shut up. But I'm saying there is then need for there to be an awareness to say, okay, we are going to put this text, right? We are taxing this for this particular period because the returns from that tax, from, from the money that we're going to be taxing, it needs to probably go to debt servicing so that, you know, we, 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 we service our sovereign debts. This is good because, we will, number one, we will not have to pay debts for a very long time. Number two, um, we will then have, once we service all our debts, we can then have enough financial muscle to start focusing on developing our economy. We need to take this money from, or rather, we need to prioritize building this road and building this port. Because as you would know, we, we, we import or export certain such and from this country, right? For Kenya, we would say, because we are one of the largest exporters of flowers, right? We need to make sure that our flowers, when they get to the other side of the coast, they, they get there in time, they are still fresh enough to be on the market. And then the country can get foreign currency, which can come back to the reserves and be channeled into the economy. So I'm thinking that there is no transparency in terms of us actually having those conversations to say, 
the government itself has a prerogative to then go in and start explaining to the T to every other person. I'm not saying, you know, go, no condos, and start explaining to people, but have those public consultations and have them um, understand the benefits that will come from building a port, that will come from, you know, servicing the railways, that will come from actually build, constructing roads so that people would then understand. Because it just says right now, it almost feels like everybody's like, you know what, if you're not giving me a job, um, I don't understand what you're doing. And I would say this, uh, Christian, I was in Ghana uh, a few weeks ago and I spoke to a, uh, a taxi driver. He picked me from point A to point B. And um, his issue really was that there are no jobs, there is no food, right? And I'm thinking, I'm so excited um, for the government of Ghana for getting into this deal where they're going to be resurfacing and, and reconstructing their, their rail lines because I know what it means for the region. I know what it means for intra-Africa trade. But he's not seeing it like that. He thinks the government is taking money and just, you know, putting it into other enterprises that actually don't have a benefit. So that's why I'm saying ultimately it becomes the prerogative of the government to then go back to its people and explain the importance of having a rail line, to explain the importance of having a functional road and how that will eventually translate to people getting jobs and also getting food on their table. Indeed, Chido. And I think that's a perspective, you know, like someone seeing how uh, getting foreign currency into the country would trickle down to benefit them first. That's something that's long-term. And then also the person who is looking at this is looking at it now. I have no job now. My kids can't go to school now. And also like the person who is able to trade, you know, like bring, uh, and then the forex comes back into the country, is able to do all these basic things uh, for their meals and their family right now, which is not something I'm doing. The person who is able to own a ship that is transshipping cargo from the Lamu port into Durban, such a person is, is trading, you know, and how many people can own such ships really, or how many people can work within the ship. So that's how some, someone is looking at it. But I agree, it's just, uh, it's mainly going to be long term, which is, which I was thinking uh, is a very interesting thing because the developed countries, the reason why, if you ask me, they are able to uh, achieve this quickly, it's first of all, one, they are getting free labor, whether from slaves or uh, so that people are not suffering, uh, one. But also, two, they were able to get resources from other countries so that their people did not have to go without food because they had to build the road. Because money was flowing in from the colonies where, they could, uh, where the money could go there and they could build the roads, maybe sometimes on free labor, while their people are not necessarily affected. Which is, not, which is, which is a situation that now you can see for us, we have to either take a loan and then there's the, the debt repayment uh, for, for, for the loan so to construct the roads. Or uh, there has to be some, something that's suffering, you know. And we, now that's why we are saying you need to be a little bit more patient. Uh, but you see, for if you compare with like people you know who are maybe studying ab abroad, or you, you, you tend, that's why I realize that people tend to be a bit more agitated because you think that there are people who are, who are enjoying the benefits from developed countries. Well, here we are, you telling us just hang on, hang on there until the road is able to repay itself and you start getting the benefits. Um, this has been a good chat, Chido. I will try and invite some the person who I had this conversation with. He's very passionate about the whole thing why infrastructure is not as important as uh, getting 
the basic things for people. I think it will be quite a rounded discussion to have. Chido, if you have any closing thoughts, you may, then we'll wind up. Uh, thank you so much, Christine. I think this is a very interesting conversation we had. Sometimes it's always good to try and unpick the other side. You know, that's not very common. Um, really, we like to complain about what's not going right, but we all then fail to also illuminate some light on what's actually going right or the steps that are being taken to make sure that we address the situation. So, yeah, I think we are moving at quite a pace and I'm, I'm, I'm excited. If we continue with the m- momentum that we have, you'd realize that if there's one thing that I think we all learned from COVID was to be self-sustaining. And I liked how African countries or other businesses in most African countries really rose to the occasion. You had... Um, the pharmaceutical industry in Egypt really rising up to the occasion, you know, to make sure that there are drugs. Um, when most countries closed their borders because of COVID-19, and you have most African countries, Uganda, every other African country I can think of, really, you know, getting into this business of trying to manufacture uh, PPEs to make sure that they save is their own domestic market, right? Um, initially, when COVID started, masks were so expensive. But now you get them for as little as 30 cents. That's like 30 cents of a dollar, you know, which is really cheap if you think about it. Um, simply because we rose to the occasion and we started making our own masks. We we we, we had, uh, you know, most countries really becoming inward looking, thinking of how they can start developing their industries. How can they how can how they can attract investments? And, you know, there's public-private partnerships to make sure that they become so sufficient. So I think when push comes to shove, really, we, we, we try to rise up to the occasion and um, make use of what's there. So I think if we could then keep the momentum and keep pushing and never forget the lessons that we learned from COVID and also the geopolitics in Ukraine and Russia, we could actually start building an Africa that we would be proud of or that our children would be proud of in the next coming years. Okay, uh, Chido, thanks so much for joining the podcast tonight. Uh, anyone who listens to this, please share your thoughts, especially on the entire um, uh, discussion, everything that you've mentioned. And you can also get in touch with us if you'd like to come as a guest, you know, share your thoughts from any African country. We welcome that. In fact, that's what we hope for, to have different individuals within African countries interacting and sharing ideas. It, it has been a great pleasure to host this tonight. Uh, and from us, it's goodbye.